0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to today's live stream, uh, Industry 4.0 live stream. We're going to, uh, this is our weekly podcast. We go live every week, at Tuesday at noon at central. 5-2. Welcome to today's live stream. stream. So, um, uh, is that you or is that me? I can't tell, dude. <laughs> mm. All right. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, clearly, we have no idea what we're doing. Actually, fun fact: I've been doing this for four years as of today. Four years ago, May tenth, two thousand and eighteen, I quit my engineering career to pursue content creation uh, full time, and the rest is history. You yeah. know. Congratulations, brother. Yeah, dude, it's really exciting. You know, uh, we've come a long way, and uh, you know, I'm really my focus is on the community, right? As the community manager, the reason why I do this is because I, I love providing value to our audience and building mm-hmm. a community. I could care less. I mean, as long as I can pay my bills, I could care less how much money we actually make.
1: I, uh, that's part of what we'll be talking about today, actually. We're going to talk a little bit about um, principled capitalism. We'll talk a little bit about, um, I'm going to plug a couple of things. And then uh, we're going to talk about NFT, blockchain, and crypto as, as it relates to Industry 4.0 uh we'll talk a little bit about how it works in the commercial space but then we're gonna talk about like what are the implications i get this a question a lot industry 4.0 or uh you know what is what does blockchain crypto and nft mean for industry 4.0 so we're gonna talk about that today but hopefully the audience uh we end up with our normal audience today because for those of you that didn't join us this morning i was on a different podcast uh and um and we we but we streamed the podcast through our channel. So the podcast was like on Twitter, LinkedIn, it was on their YouTube channel. And then, uh, when we streamed it to our channel and we had a, there were a bunch of people on there. So it it went really well. I, I got to watch it back. Um, you know, I, I generally will listen to these podcasts like the next day or something. Um, if I say anything like really controversial, I'll, I'll listen to it back right away. Um, but uh, I'll listen to it tonight, probably
0: when I'm laying down. Um, Tesla, Tesla to the moon, nice. Tesla. Yeah, if if you guys yeah. are listening to the podcast, I'm wearing a shirt that says "TSLA to the Moon."
1: <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, why don't you go ahead and do the the uh, sponsorship announcement and all that stuff? All let's right. get the housekeeping out of the way, and then we'll get started. This
0: this this podcast is brought to you by Clarify Clarify.io. Store all of your clouds cloud. Store all of your time series data hosted in the cloud and provide analytics, native data science tools, um, and, and third-party tools through their Python libraries. Uh, all hosted. They actually use Google Cloud Platform. Super affordable. They actually have a free plan. So there's no reason not to try it and check it out. They just rolled out their Sparkplug B connector, and there's actually a channel in our Discord, hashtag Clarify. So if you're like setting it up and you want to start publishing some tags to it from like Ignition, Use that, use that channel for support. Like uh, the CTO has been providing support in that channel. So we're really excited to be working with uh, Clarify and we're excited to get the free community plan for being a member or a listener of the 4.0 Solutions Podcast. Click the link below and go to clarify.io to get a free community plan, 40 free signals and four free users. It's a crazy, crazy offer. So go ahead and take advantage of that if you have not already and support 4.0 Solutions Podcast. Thank you, Clarify. Now let's get back to the show. <laughs>
1: well done. Yeah, well I just done.
0: like I did that from the hip.
1: And then for those of you who join us on Apple Podcasts, so I've, I've noticed that uh, like the number of the percentage of the audience who is listening to the podcast back through like Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast platforms that continues to grow every week. Each week, a, a larger percentage of the audience is listening to it through the podcast apps, which is really cool to see. I myself actually will listen to the podcast multiple times during the week. Uh, generally, uh, once just like, I'll do a, a listen back to and take some notes on things I may have covered. And then, oh, that's something I should expand on in a later podcast. And then I listen to it one more time as just an engineer. Like
0: what podcast app
1: do you use? I use Apple podcasts and I'll generally like, while I'm at the gym, I'll throw it on, um, and, and listen to it as as an engineer, I try to put myself in the position of the community member. I'm going to talk about that a little bit today, like how to sell the engineers, how to sell the software developers uh, today. Um, And and the answer is you don't sell to them. You just solve problems and the sale takes care of itself. So um, with that, let me go ahead. And um, for those of you, there was a bunch of people that came out. um, So I, I was a, speaker at the iot texas happy hour last week um i think it was thursday night um they had the biggest attendance they've ever had it was standing room only i mean it was just we had like a huge turnout um michael brown from rts i think is who he's with now right is it rts formerly with amazon amazon architect was there um there were a bunch of members of the community from mentorship and mastermind. I mean, we had a huge audience, a huge, you know, standing room only. It was awesome. Uh, so, um, Trent. Uh, yeah, I wish I was there. Trent Christopher, I think his name is from Omron was there. I mean, just amazing audience. And I, I was thinking while I was presenting, I actually was only supposed to speak for about an hour. I went like an hour thirty five. Uh, we had a long q and I mean, it was a great, great riff. A lot of really great questions one of the things we covered in there in that presentation we talked about crypto blockchain nft um and i'm going to talk about that today but i i just want to give a big thanks to ed who is the guy who invited us out um it went exceptionally well uh and it went so well i think we're going to end up sponsoring the happy hour every month um and be, become one of the sponsors to help fund it um because I, I just thought it was incredibly valuable and it It was a great, it was a great time. Um, Really a great time. So Um, also if you guys, uh, you guys may have remembered um, integrate live is a, it's a, a new community launched by um, Jeff Nepper and uh, is it Alan Ray? Is that his name? He's formerly from a oil and gas company. Right. So Jeff Nepper basically. uh, So Jeff Nepper, is the director of marketing and business development at um canary labs uh, jeff and i are you know he's he's a personal friend but all our relationship started out professionally he is you know he's a true believer um and he and uh alan started this new community called integrate live a couple of months ago where which was sort of like take the approach that we took with our community which is it's all the end users. Right. And it's it's bottom up. It's driven from the developers. It's driven from operations. It's driven from the people who are actually solving um, industrial problems. What Jeff has done is created a community that is re- that really starts with the vendors who believe the same things we believe. That is, you know, interoperability and uh, edge driven report by exception, lightweight technology he's created this community of like-minded vendors and that that reaches out to the community of the people who solve the problems right that's what integrate live is and they did their first session um last month um
0: uh, i think it was two months ago i think they're on their right, it was in
1: he's in march right they did their first session in march um and um and now they're doing their next session this month so what i wanted to do was kind of read what they're actually going to go over. I texted Jeff this morning to get the actual details,
0: actually just like 45 Cause
1: minutes Cause there's ago. a couple
0: members of our community that are going to be presenting, right?
1: Right. So I did not get confirmation that, it, that Kevin Jones and Dave Schultz will be the actual presenters, but in this, they're doing it two days. They're doing it May 11th. That's tomorrow at 10 o'clock central and May 18th, 10 o'clock central. So next uh, Wednesday at 10 o'clock central. Um, And it's joint, it's Ectobox, um, which is based out of PA that's Kevin Jones's company, um, matrix technologies, which is based out of Toledo, Ohio. I, I know of matrix only because of Dave Schultz. I don't really know a whole lot about their company. Um, the, but I know Dave Schultz works there. Um, and, and I know Dave, you know, Dave's a value-based guy. So if Dave went to go work at matrix technologies, then, um, you know, then they must be true believers as well. Right. Um, Opto 22, uh, who are definitely, um, you know, Benson Hegland is a, a real, a true believer in open architecture. Inductive automation and Cirrus Link will all be doing this session. So it's join the virtual workshop um, that will focus on how to secure legacy hardware using current industry 4.0 best practices while still providing configuration and maintenance access. Solutions from Opto 22, Cirrus Link, and inductive automation will be highlighted by the trusted guides at Ectobox and Matrix. What I will say is that Kevin Jones is a member, you know, he's a member of Mastermind. Dave Schultz is a member of Mastermind. These are guys that have been we've been teaching and, and collaborating with for the last uh, year and a half, almost two years now. So I suspect they'll be implementing UNS and, and our best in practices solution. So this should be pretty exciting to see. Uh, After the live demonstration, the solution pricing will be provided and the participants will field your questions as a panel. Afterwards, each participating company will be available in their own breakout rooms for attendees to ask additional questions or learn more from the vendors and integrators. And then Jeff texted me. I'm going to go ahead and read what he texted me. He said, we're going to show how to segregate your OT network to keep your legacy devices secure from internal threats. And provide access management that can be controlled using Ignition SCADA, complete with alarming and audit logs. By using a Groove Epic, we not only solve this problem but provide for future expansion as well. By investing in hardware that can be used to further an Industry 4.0 architecture. So what I suspect will happen is they will use the Groove Epic as a uh, a client to your legacy devices, and then the Groove Epic will do your protocol conversion. Up into the ignition architecture which is a, a great way to do it so if you have a chance uh Je- zach will include the register link uh in the description after we're done with the podcast today but mm-hmm. um highly recommend you take a look at that and uh we would love feedback on the session um once you uh once you see it but uh, dave and kevin i love the videos that they did so i i suspect this is going to go really well All Right. Anything else, Zach, that I should cover before we get
0: into our uh, topic? Integ- integrate asynchronous. Did you talk about them? Say that again? Integrate live and then integrate their sister company, Integrate Asynchronous.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I wasn't planning on talking about that today. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I want to talk about it. Let me, let me talk about a couple things here. Um, I got a, I got a, there was a video I shot um, yesterday, you guys should be seeing Zach. Did you w- end up watching that video? Don't fight the theoretical battle. Um, when the results war. did you watch that back already?
0: Um, I'm the one posting this week is like the biggest wins or something like that. Okay. Got it. All right. Yeah. So the, the IOT happy hour. Right? So Were I, I shot that.
1: Yeah. So I shot a video yesterday, which was when the results, uh, when the results war. don't fight the theoretical battles. Highly recommend you guys check that video out. It it basically has to do with a conversation between two leading architects in machine learning and AI that I was following on Twitter, um, and I I talked I talk about a use case uh, you know how you know how it, over the course of my career I have never tried to win theoretical battles I always win the results war okay um, and and in that in that video I talk about this use case at Nucor Steel and how I was able to change the perception in the facility. If I had tried to go and win a theoretical battle and get a couple hundred thousand dollars in funding to do this Industry 4.0 use case, I would have failed. So what I did was I figured out a way to win the results war in a proof of concept that didn't cost us any money. Basically cost us next to nothing. Then once you win the results war, no one can argue against you. You can get stuck in theoretical purgatory for the rest of your life. Um, and You know, and and that's how you you know you get frustrated and disenchanted. John Maldonado just had a conversation with someone from Data Gumbo. They're using smart contracts to document asset material transactions and automate payment when the contract is fulfilled. John Maldonado will actually be talking about that exact example today, but um, uh, we'll focus a little bit more on the supply chain component of it. But thank you for that contribution, buddy. Um, All right, let's talk another element. Another principle that i've used in my career which has been you know don't fight theoretical battles win the results war is don't sell to engineers and technologists okay um ever okay and let me let me say this it over the course of my career you know how like lunch and you know everyone here has sat through like a lunch and learn um everyone here has you know, signed up for a webinar thinking that they were going to learn something. And really all they did, it was just a marketing pitch, you know, with some veiled technical value. How many times have you been talking to a business development or marketing person for some technology company? They may make a platform or some hardware and you as the engineer or the, the person who's going to be solving the problem asks what, what really amounts to is a basic technical question and they have to, you know, refer you to some architect to answer that question for you or some sales engineer. Here's a little known fact in our industry okay, the marketing and business development people, even if they're degreed engineers, are always the dumbest people in the room when they are selling something to you and they don't
0: know it. And I'm not doing that. To when you despair. say dumb as though how like it because there's other elements of being like the I would say a salesperson is great at. Um, the they have solid. no. They
1: have no idea that they're not being taken seriously. So what I mean, yeah, what I mean is this: is that when a business development person is in a room and they're doing a pitch, they're going through a PowerPoint presentation. You what you will have are non-technologists in the room and technologists in the room. If you are if you can't answer technical questions about the thing you're trying to sell, no one takes you seriously. So, and, and this is where business development and marketing people screw up when it comes to selling to technologists. This is a really important point. That, and technologists are engineers, developers, people who understand like, uh, like the software stack, right? So you have backend, right? You have backend, you have middle API, and then you have UI, right? UI is what the customer interacts with but there are other technical elements of any piece of software, right? You've got you've got the API that interacts with the backend, the master data model. A, a technologist is going to ask you questions about how external applications interact with the API to retrieve data from the master data model. They're going to ask you about certification of connections. They're going to ask you about user roles, and they're going to ask you about um, you know processing speed. They're going to ask you about the. The overhead required for certain um, func- uh, functions and capabilities within the API. And those are all basic questions. Those are, okay. I mean, none of that's complicated. It's basic stuff. And the marketing and business development people can never answer those questions. Okay. And it, it, this morning when we were talking, I was, when I was talking with uh, Eric Kimberling. Um, Right before we started, he asked me, hey, how was your weekend? You know, what'd you do yesterday? And I said, oh, well, I was, you know, I was developing yesterday, you know, and, and yesterday all day long, I was I had a doctor's appointment in the morning and then I was developing all day. I was working with a, an Arduino Portenta, Portenta H7 with the with the vision module, and I was applying a vision application that I built um, using an NVIDIA um, vision tool. To and written in a Jupyter notebook to have it run in an Arduino Portenta H7, and I was modifying my code to optimize it for the Arduino. And he asked me, he's like, "You really, you still do that stuff?" I said, "Oh yeah, I'm doing this whole application. So we're we're um, we're building a, a product, okay, that is that basically can predict failure using vision and AI using." a live stream camera and machine learning and artificial intelligence to predict when an athlete is going to either fail on a deadlift or get injured. Okay. And we've been classifying um, the injury and, and success um, success movements. Right. And I, you know, that's what I've been working on for the last couple of months. We're sponsoring the Shaw classic, which is, you know, Brian Shaw, four time world's strongest man. He does, a, strong class, he does a, a strongman event in Colorado every year. We're, we are a key sponsor of the Shaw Classic this year, and we're going to be testing our solution at the event. We're, our cameras will actually be on the ground monitoring the athletes, and we'll be predicting injury and success before they ever complete their movement. We'll know whether or not they've success, successfully c- completed the movement. And moreover, we're going to be publishing all the data in real time to a – Unified namespace in the cloud, where the manufacturer of the of the barbell is going to of the bar is going to be able to consume that data in real time, and our goal is to give them feedback on real world, real life examples of athletes using their tools, and all, and it'll be completely non invasive, only using vision. I, I'm building that all by myself. There's no end, other engineer working with me. I'm doing that. And Eric asked me, you know, why do you do that? And I said, well, we live in a different world. I'm I yes, I'm an executive, but I'm an executive of a tech company, which means I need to know what the fuck I'm talking about when it comes to technology. And in order for you to know what I'm talking about, I got to stay close to it. Mm-hmm. Right. You Did know, you part of the read
0: from Elon. Which one? Uh, where he talks about that exact point where he, he feels like managers should be technical in nature, like you can't have. Uh, a horse a chivalry leader who's never ridden a horse before you know
1: agreed it, it's it's i stay close to the technology because otherwise I, I i can't lead technologists which brings me back to selling to technologists what do technologists care about they care about solving the problem so here's how you sell to technologists if i'm a business development person or i'm a marketing person and i am trying and i have a product i'm supposed to be selling What I'm going to do is I'm going to learn what problems that product can solve. And then I'm going to go into an organization and I'm going to ask them about their problems. And then I'm going to use my product to solve their problems. Okay. This is how we sell our solutions. There is literally no point. There's literally no point in me tricking a customer into hiring our company. There's really no point in coming up with, you know, slipping lipstick on a pig or throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. What, are you, what you really want to do is go into a room and you want to solve problems using the product you want to sell. That's how you sell the technologists. You ask the technologist, the engineer and the developer, what their problem is, and then you solve it in front of them. We've talked about this. I've talked about this a million times. Okay. What you don't do is go in with a pre-canned PowerPoint presentation. You don't go in there with a, pre, a, a pre-canned a message. Get through your 20-minute presentation and try to find the dummy in the room who's going to buy from you. What you really want to do is solve the problem of the smartest people in the room. That's how you sell to technologists. And in order to do that, you have to be fluent in the technology. The reason I bring that up is I keep getting a lot of inquiries from other vendors other companies who reach out and you know h- how have you guys scaled the way you guys have scaled like how did you build you know we we're taught this company who wants to buy us reached out and you know they're asking us all these questions about like in how did you in seven years you know build what arguably is the most famous integrator on the planet and you know i mean seriously i don't know of another integrator who's more well-known And IntelliC integration. And we did that in seven years. How do you work with the companies everyone else wants to work with? Like, how did you do that? And I said, you know what? I did the thing that no one tries to do. And that is just start with the problem. Like you're, you're focused on just selling something. Your measurement of success is the sales number. My measurement of success is whether or not I've solved the problem, Right. So how do we, you know, that's how we do it. I firmly believe, and we're going to talk about principal capitalism here in a second and then get into crypto. You, the, the value you get out of your economy, especially the economy we have now, the value we get out of the tech economy, is a function of the value you put into it. If you create value in the market, the money takes care of itself. It just does. It just does. I, I, I am, I'm very skeptical of people who can't answer technical questions. I'm very skeptical. I don't buy anything from anyone who can't answer a technical question for me. And I don't ask them really hard ones. When people ask me a technical question, this is one of the reasons when I go and any of us on our team go and we're selling to a prospective customer. We always ask for there to be a whiteboard in the room because you might ask me a technical question that I'm going to answer. I'm going to sketch it on the board for you. I'm going to show you exactly how it happens. I'm going in hoping you try to trip me up. You as technologists, you guys already do this. When a salesperson comes into a room, you try to trip them up. And the moment you realize they're just trying to sell you something, you you literally in your head turn off. You turn your brain off. And, And... I don't understand why more people don't just try to solve the problem. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand. And and I suspect it's because maybe they can't. Maybe they they can't solve the problem. So therefore, they're trying to use smoke and mirrors, whatever,
0: you know, to do it. So You know what's the worst? Yeah, man. When you go into a sales meeting and you're an engineer and you're already sold on the solution, you just want to have like actual exam, you want to have like, Hey, how do I do this? Right. I was in a sales meeting yesterday, evaluating a solution. And I was like, Hey, how do I add custom properties and metadata to my contacts? So I can use that for templated messages. And they, you know, this salesperson did the right thing. Like by pivoting, he understood I was already sold. He, so he's not going off this PowerPoint script. And and that's the worst is when they like, they're like, Oh, well, no, let me, well, I'll answer that later, but let me show you this. And I'm like, no, I already want to buy it. I've already seen all that. I want to, I want to know the answer to this question. Like, you know, so that's the worst from, 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 my perspective. I'm sure you guys have all experienced that.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's like, you're not re-
0: listening or something, you know?
1: Right. They're, well, because they, what they've done is they, they're not focused on solving the problem. They're, they're fo- focused what on the done, Yeah. What they've done is they've created a list of features and benefits. Okay. And they're pitching features and benefits. And they ask qualifying questions to hopefully align one of the features and benefits they've got listed on their PowerPoint presentation with the thing that you said you're looking for, right? And they ask open-ended questions to get you talking, right? But that doesn't work in technology. You know what works in technology? Solving someone's problem. You know know what Elon, I I was going to not talk about Elon, but I'm going to. You know what Elon Musk's favorite interview question is? Number one, he asks, tell me your life story. And then while you're telling the life story, you're going to talk about some problem you solved, and then he asks you, "Tell tell me a little bit more about that problem. What exactly was the problem, and tell me exactly how you solved it. And he's looking for detail. He's looking for the difference between a function and a class. He's looking for the difference between theory and instantiation. He's looking for the difference between ad hoc and modeled. He's, he's asking, he wants the details. You know why? Because the person who solves the actual problem, that is their baby. They can tell you every single detail about how they fixed it. They can tell you every parameter in every model class. They can tell you every attribute of every ad hoc um, parameter. They can tell you exactly how they wrote the code the way they iterated through the data set, how, which variables they created in their scripts, they can tell you every single detail. And the person who didn't solve the problem can't tell
0: you anything. They can tell you something at the 15,000 foot level. Test, test me. Yeah. Test me. Ask me how we solve the, um, that large enterprise.
1: Well, okay. So you created this tag management utility, right? So when we did the huge project in 2013, one of the biggest problems that we had was that we couldn't use user-defined data types. Let's talk about this, Ignition, right? We were using Ignition here. We knew, we did a bunch of benchmarking of the Ignition platform, and we knew at the time, and I think this was version 7.7, that a user-defined data type consumed 30% more memory than the equivalent flat tag in ignition. So if I created a user-defined data type and I created a completely flat tag that had all the same, so I created a data type that had eight tags in it, and I created a folder that had eight tags in it. Okay, the the folder with the eight tags in it consumed thirty percent less memory than the data type with the eight tags in it. Okay, and if and moreover, if you Dropped if you bound that user defined data type to a component in an ignition window, you were using like a you were using an exponential amount of memory on that window. Why? What we discovered during our benchmarking was that when you drop when you bound a data type, the component, the container was subscribing to not only all the tags, but all of the parameters of the tags, all 16 of them. So it was tag times 16. In terms of the total amount of usage on that window we knew that by the way inductive automation didn't even know that we were the ones who told ia yeah, i found a bunch yeah, of you, bugs and right udt model but here but because of that limitation one of the things that we couldn't do was manage all of our data types using user defined data types we had to create some type of abstraction and so we turned it over to zach and we said zach it is your job to figure out how we can manage 11 million tags without going in and right-clicking and deleting or right. selecting new. And Never Zach, manually
0: I- created a tag. In fact, uh, An- Andrew was working on the project at the time. He came up with this term, the "scorched earth" philosophy, which was kind of the approach that we took with this tag management system. Was we could nuke the entire gateway and we could rebuild the entire tag structure uh, in a few minutes. Like we would, we were actually rebuilding it every day. 11 million how, tests. Yep. That's how we were able to, to, to test, hey, does this, does, we would change, we tweaked the configuration. We went with like UDTs at the, at the uh, like cell level, but then we tried going UDTs at like the individual uh, item level. So we tried it many different ways and ultimately, you know. And What did you settle on?
1: So when, when you, you, so you were the one who led up that, the development of that solution. Andrew was, was the one who helped with architecture. Yeah.
0: We broke the UDTs. We broke, so instead of doing uh, UDTs that had many parameters, because then all of them would be subscribed, we basically made a, a UDT for every base data type, a base int, a base float, a base pool. So then all of the main properties that could apply to all of those tags, we could change in the, the UDT, but the individual tags were um, instances of those UDTs with overridden parameters that were created by the script. And the script got what it needed to know f- for those overrides, the OPC item path, the scaling parameters, alarm parameters from a, a tag database, which was just one really wide table with a bunch of one row for every tag and a bunch of parameters.
1: And how many, so let's talk about OPC item path, right? So if in the, for those of you that don't work with OPC, if I, create a, if I create an OPC tag, that tag is going, is, is going to be a topic subscription using an OPC client in ignition to an OPC server. And normally what you have to do is you have to give it the OPC item path, which would be like NS equals two, so namespace equals two, and then the, and then the item path that gets you to the topic inside the OPC server. Normally you either have to drag that from a browse function, or you've got to type it in manually for every tag. Well, you can't do that when you've got 10 million tags. There's no way to do that manually. Take an army a yeah. year to do, and we were nuking and recreating every day. So most people try to do it using some type of indirection and user data types, which we couldn't because it would kill the, it would crush the gateway. It would crash the gateway. So Zach and Zach yeah. and Ann, with Andrew built this, what we called it, tag management version one, which was basically. We created user-defined data types as an abstraction by consuming from a very wide table in
0: SQL. We could nuke and recreate on, at, at will. Go ahead, Zach. And the same thing for their asset model: how 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 their different assets related to one another, and um, so through navigation, we could navigate to assets that were upstream and downstream of that one particular asset, all driven via database. And that was a simple, you know, abstracted table, right? Uh, one table for every. One table for every asset type, and then uh, you know foreign key column pairs to 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 link those you know uh, one to many relationships in and, and you know fully normalized database. So we probably just lost like ninety percent of our audience. Yeah, <laughs> so. but let, let me let me say this. This is a really important point though,
1: and this is why this is why I think business development and marketing people struggle in when they're when they're talking to technologists. Okay. And, and, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to business development and marketing people are very important. Okay. I mean, they are, but they, I also believe many business development and marketing people do a disservice in our industry because they should focus on solving problems. They should focus on solving problems and not selling features and benefits. Okay. That's the lesson here. That's the lesson here. But let's say this, here's how, you know, like I can ask a very simple question of somebody when I'm interviewing someone here at at Intellic or or at 4.0 Solutions. I can ask them the question, what happens when you bind a user-defined data type to a root container in a window in Ignition? And then shut up. I can just sit there and shut up. And if they can't answer that question, then I know they've never worked on an enterprise class solution. They don't know that's the question I'm asking them. They think I'm asking them a detailed question about a user-defined data type in a root container. But here's the thing. If you're building enterprise class solutions using the Ignition platform, there is absolutely no doubt you will eventually find out exactly what happens when you bind a user-defined data type to a root container and then use and then try to scale that window to 1,000 users. You'll find out the hard way. And they'll be able to answer that question. The question I'm ask- actually asking is, have you ever worked on an enterprise class solution using Ignition? But they think I'm asking them about data types and containers, right? It's, it's, it's the, you know, we always say this, elite level developers recognize an elite level developer in five seconds. But the, an, a non-elite level developer is going to be blind because of their fluency they won't they may be able to recognize the elite level developer but they may they likely will not because the lower you are in the hierarchy and I don't I don't want to make it a hierarchy but the lower you are in terms of your fluency the people who are above you in fluency you it's difficult for you to tell right you you could get confused right but the higher you move up the food chain i mean i walk into a room and an architect starts to talk and i know in 5 seconds whether that person knows what they're talking about and part of the reason people think I'm a dick is because when someone is doesn't know what they're talking about, I definitely point it out. I What's definitely. see
0: get- in uh, crypto, because I, I do want to get into the so, crypto piece. Yeah, let's get into the crypto. What would you uh, rate your fluency one to five? Full transparency, because I'm like a four or five. And um, no,
1: I would definitely in cryptocurrency. Let's say three. Zach and in I have this development.
0: Company. I'm not as much on the development, but on a on a fundamental uh, principles level, I, I fully understand the blockchain.
1: I, I w- blockchain, I definitely, ha- I would say my fluency in blockchain is a five for sure on a scale of one to five. Um, and I want to talk about the implications for blockchain um, in Industry 4.0, right? But let's, let's talk about what, let's define NFT, blockchain, and uh, cryptocurrency, okay? Blockchain is, is simply the infrastructure through which transactions take place. Decentralized transactions take place in the digital world okay so rather than going uh rather than going to like um, uh, I, I was having this conversation with an accountant the other day i was at a like this uh cocktail party for the the boating club i'm a member of and he's uh, in a he's a you know a, a cfo for some company and we were talking about the implications for blockchain in payroll okay this already exists by the way this technology or mcdonald's is doing this for some of their employees. The future of getting paid is that you will always you'll be when you're working, your income is going to stream into your bank account while you're working. If you're an hourly employee, while I'm working, my bank my bank account's going to grow. Those transactions are going to happen over the blockchain. Okay? The blockchain is think of it as a decentralized ledger for transactions where there's no way to hack it. OK, because it's completely decentralized. Basically, it's an omnipresent, omniscient general ledger. And all a ledger is, is rows of transactions. That's all it is, right? And then your accountants create rows of transactions in a ledger, which is an account. Blockchain is the ability to do that digitally across um, a completely decentralized infrastructure. So if someone were to add a transaction, they were to hack um, a location and add a transaction. You would immediately know that the transaction in this, this, this one that got hacked is different than all the other transactions that have been decentralized, and therefore you can just ignore that, right? So the blockchain is what makes that dispersal through the decentral, the decentralized ledger possible. That's what blockchain is.
0: What are NFTs?
1: NFTs are non fungible tokens, and this is the only thing that matter. They need to know is this. Imagine you buy a concert ticket. Okay. So I bought, I bought, yes, let's give Canary Labs a, uh, a shout out. They donated, I think it was 70, 75 licenses. Correct, Jeff? Correct me if I'm so, wrong, yeah, Jeff. So that 75 licenses. Yep. Canary Labs, which is based in Pennsylvania, um, and they donated 75 historian licenses to Penn College and to Jeff Rankin's group, the Automation Robotics group. Jeff's a member of our mastermind program and they, and that value of those licenses was over $2.6 million. So, and that was Jeff Nepper. This is why I'm plugging integrate live. That was Jeff Nepper and the group at Canary labs, which also, by the way, is a faith-based organization. Um, you know, they do exceptional work and they also happen to have the best historian on the market. Um, you know, fully, fully open yeah. architecture. Yeah, Thanks, so. All right. NFTs. What is an NFT? Most people don't understand it, but think of it this way: if I buy a, if I buy a painting, okay, how do I know that painting is real? The answer is is someone certifies it for me, right? Someone inspects it and says, you know, uh, they, you know, they may test it and they'll go, the in my professional opinion, this is the this is the original painting. The reason why they have to do that is because there's no history of every transaction of that painting since it was painted. We cannot guarantee that the painting I'm looking at is the one that Michelangelo painted. When I buy a concert or buy a baseball card that's got a signature on it, how do I know that I've got the baseball card that Dwight Gooden signed in 1985 when he won the Cy Young Award when he went 24 and four with a 1.54 ERA and whatever, 268 strikeouts? How, and he won the triple crown, baseball's triple crown. How do I know that that card is the one he signed? Well, sometimes people take photos and then they have the they do the certificate of authenticity, right? All an NFT is is a digital asset that uses the blockchain to guarantee its authenticity. That's all it is. The transaction is decentralized and it's guaranteed. I've been buying NFTs through Tops, Tops NFTs. I'm a big baseball guy. So I've been buying NFTs through tops NFTs. And one and I I've, I've been a baseball card collector my whole career or my whole life. I never knew when I when I had Dwight Gooden's rookie card, right from 1984. And the only reason I knew a card was valuable was I would go to a book and I would read, you know, what the estimated value is. But what is the value? The value is what people are willing to pay for it, and what they're willing to pay for it is a function of its scarcity right nfts especially in baseball cards and in artwork you know exactly how many many of that baseball card's been minted right so i have a ronald acuña you know legendary card that's only one of five from tops right it literally is minted i have mint number 2 of five of those cards ever made that will ever be made and the blockchain ensures for me that the one that I own is is two of five. And it guarantees it. It guarantees it. That's what that's what NFTs do. And then let's talk about cryptocurrency.
0: Well, I crypto- have a question on NFT, but all right, go ahead. Go
1: ahead. And then we'll get into crypto. And then I let me I want to say one other thing about NFTs. The the beauty of the NFT is NFT gave base is, is the way we're gonna get all of our concert tickets. So like if you go and you buy a concert ticket from Woodstock 1969, how do you know it's not a forgery? The answer is you don't. NFTs guarantee it's not a forgery. All of our concert tickets will be non-fungible tokens that have, there's literally this big long hash that's associated with that that asset. And the blockchain ensures that it's not a forgery, it's not a screenshot, it's not anything. It's you actually own the digital asset, right? Right. Uh, if you look at like V friends and stuff, every one of those V friends NFTs that are selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars, they're selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars because they are one of one, and it cannot be, it cannot be forged because you have the contract. But here's the crazy thing: you can it's, you can associate other things with this. So if I buy, say, I buy the baseball card. If I'm the person who mints the card, I can add other things to the contract. So I can say, you're going to get the card, which is one of one. You're going to get a 15 minute meeting with the baseball player and he's going to sign something. You can attach other things to that contract, right? They can attach other things to that contract. And the blockchain ensures that when I say I'm the owner, I can guarantee I'm the owner. I am the owner. Go ahead, Zach. uh, Your question.
0: Yeah, so my question and then I have my own answer to my own question, but in your opinion, where do you see NFTs being used in manufacturing? Well, I mean, think about all the
1: places where transactions take place. Okay, so the first place it's going to take place is you're going to use the blockchain, the the NFT is going to be the contract for your payment. So you'll have a non-fungible token that is going to be the 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 contract for your not your employment but your payroll okay you'll own the nft which is Walker's payroll account and your employer will stream your income to you over that blockchain to that contract okay that's number one that's gonna happen everywhere all across industry Do you all think across an
0: operator that was getting paid in real time would be more efficient like if like they saw absolutely. their income going up like absolutely
1: here but here's the other thing and if you're in a in, in Think about it right now when you do when you do a contract with a supplier okay how do you handle a contract with a supplier you're going to what you're going to do is you're going to get on the phone and you're going to call prospective suppliers no what you're going to do is if i have a contract for a supplier to provide me a certain set of goods there they are going to in order for them to per, you're going to create a non-fungible token an nft which is the contract for that transaction And that that NFT is going to go into a digital supply chain. Some over over a specific, you're going to be using a wallet, a digital wallet at both the manufacturer and the vendor, and they're going to purchase the contract, okay? Or they're going to assume the contract. And then that NFT connects the person who minted the contract, which is the manufacturer, with the supplier who now has... In their possession, the non-fungible token, which is the contract to supply the goods, and the transactions will happen over the, the blockchain, be, between the two. Okay, um, that's just two examples, right? Okay, but NFTs are gonna are, they're gonna be used all over your organization.
0: Okay, so here's, my I, be... here's my idea. Go ahead, Zach. Well, uh, shout out to Rick Belota. who had the uh, famous NFT workflow. Should your company create a uh, I forget if it's an NFT or a blockchain, and, it, and it's basically one one answer, no. But um, now I think that NFTs will be used. I think manufacturers of good hard products, like not just digital, you know, NFTs, one of one of hundred or one of ten thousand. I think hard goods, manufactured products, like the Tesla Roadster uh, founders edition, like the first hundred or two hundred and fifty. Instead of saying like one of two hundred and fifty on the car you own the digital certificate that proves the authenticity of that one of 250 Tesla founder edition, the Roadster, which by the way, they're accepting new deposits for Roadsters now. So there might be coming up in production uh, soon. um, Here's here's one other thing I want to say about NFTs and uh, and it goes to what
1: Mario asked. So he said, and will there be an agreement for accreditation on blockchain for NFTs? For example, who can create one network and say it's valid or what if the producer had a blockchain but goes bankrupt? Very good question, right? One of the biggest challenges you face in NFTs right now is you, because it is decentralized and wholly deregulated, you have to trust the person who minted the asset that you're purchasing, right? So I obviously trust Tops that when they say that this card is two of five and it'll only ever be. Or you know, it'll only ever be five of them in existence. I trust that Tops isn't going to mint another 500 of that, you know, and that's that's baked into the contract. The contract says that that's the agreement that we've entered into. I can read the contract before I buy the NFT, and I and I, and I could sue them, obviously. Why do you collect
0: it? Like, what's the difference between you just save? Obviously, you know, the NFT, um, you know, luddites would say, well, I could just right click save as, but obviously, you can't sell that. You can sell the NFT. You have the ownership. But personally, why do you collect it? Is it a hobby or is it investment or? It's
1: it's an investment. I mean, just I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Last Thursday, uh, the the top series one cards came out. You guys can, if you want to check this out, this is totally unsponsored. You can go to topsnfts.com right t o p p s nftscom That's where they sell their baseball cards, right? I I spent two thousand dollars on. So they, they dropped the new Series 1 for 2022 last week. It was two types of packs of cards. You could get eight cards in a standard pack, I think, and 13 in this premium pack. It was $25 for the standard, $150 for the premium. You were guaranteed one super rare card or something. I don't remember what the exact details were. I dropped two grand, okay? I opened all the packs. So I bought a combination of regular plus premium. I spent $1,890-something dollars I After opening the cards and looking at the market value of all the cards, my immediate value was twenty thousand, eighteen thousand something. i I invested twenty thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, and after I opened all the cards, I had eighteen thousand dollars of assets based on market value of the cards. okay? Um, it, you know, why do I do it though i I buy nFT baseball cards for the same reason that I have um, a painting on the wall. It's it's the, I, the fact that I own the asset and I own the legitimate asset. It's not that I wanna look at the picture. There's all these other things that come with the NFT. Like for example, the baseball card updates. You know how when you bought a baseball card, you know when you bought a baseball card, it would only show you the stats up to, um, you know, like up to the season, right? So if I yeah. bought an 85 baseball card, it only showed me the stats up to 85. That's not how NFT baseball cards work. They continue to update the stats during the season and in all subsequent years. So that when I look on the back of the card, it contains the full stats for the so athlete get, over the course of their life.
0: So but let me it, get this they trait, also the NFT. Other,
1: yeah, they, other, they attach other things though. So that NFT isn't just a
0: picture. It gets better picture. after you buy it.
1: It gets better after you buy it. They add videos to it. They add, and I own that thing. And only the people who own that thing get to experience the full experience of that thing. Well, I, I want to talk about crypto real quick. I am not as big on crypto as I am on NFTs. NFTs are here to stay. They're legit. Blockchain is here to stay. They're legit. Richard Blanchett said, blockchain for a distributed supply chain. Using blockchain to maintain a source of truth or traceability through a complex distributed supply chain, I feel is the end game. I do not see how we get it, how we don't get it. Well, the way we're gonna get it is it's going come it's gonna come from um, a it's common be AWS. Right. It's gonna be a common standards organization, almost certainly
0: AWS. But you yes. have a blockchain application I was looking at.
1: All right. NFTs are here to stay. They're legit. They're here to stay. Do I think those monkey ones that everyone's spending millions of dollars on and Garrett V Friends? No, I, I don't know. I mean, are people really gonna care about V Friends when after Gary V is dead? you know, if he ever owns the Jets, maybe, but, um, are, are the value of baseball cards and works of art from amazing artists? Or is is that our concert tickets? Like, Hey, I I went to the concert where, I mean, think about it. You know, if you're at a concert where something major happened, right. When Jimi Hendrix played, you know, sparse star spangled banner at 10 o'clock in the morning at the end of Woodstock, and you've got the ticket for that, that's, that's worth a lot. you know okay and blockchain is what makes that possible crypto is a totally different animal crypto is just an abstraction of a store of value and that's why you have so many different ones there's no inherent value in cryptocurrency there's inherent value in an nft and it's the Uh, same i disagree though no well we do disagree but there's no there's no inherent value in cryptocurrency so so I, this is what I believe. I believe right now, Ethereum is the cryptocurrency that most NFT exchanges are using. So you're buying most of your NFTs in Ethereum, okay? So I believe Ethereum is going to maintain its value as long as it stays associated with non-fungible token purchases. Right. Because its inherent value is an extension of its use for things that have inherent value. Go ahead.
0: So agreed you know and i look i look at crypto like bitcoin is crypto 1.0 it was the first one and it's always been the the leader it's been the dominant market share of of crypto right now i think it's about 40% of all crypto market cap is bitcoin ethereum number 2 people say a flipping is going to happen cuz ethereum is a better better technology right it has apps it has smart contracts bitcoin has none of that bitcoin has slower processing fees there's a lot of different qualities about bitcoin Really, qualities about Bitcoin though that I, in my mind makes it more of a store of value. If I can easily, easily, and seamlessly exchange between Bitcoin and Ethereum, then I can keep my store of value in Bitcoin, put money into Ethereum to do NFTs and to do spending and to do transactions, and then go right back into Bitcoin um, for. Long there's nothing inherent.
1: Value. There's nothing inherent about Bitcoin that makes it valuable. It, it what makes it valuable there's, there's is that it was, thought, first, it was first. It was first. Well, mostly first. It was mostly first. It was the first big player. And Bitcoin is a brand that has high brand recognition. Okay? But that's it. That's the extension of it. But who... Listen to that. I can ask the audience. When I say, who are the biggest users of Bitcoin all over the world? If you were to look at all the Bitcoin transactions, what are the top transactions in Bitcoin... As Bitcoin's brand, if you were to say, "Who are the people who are using Bitcoin more than any other demographic? Who is it?" Don't don't say anything, Zach. I want to see what their answers are. I, they're all going to say the same thing. We it's already been associated with the brand. We already know what's happening with
0: Bitcoin. Who wants that's to use a Bitcoin? A misnomer now, though, because if you notice, there was actually a f- four billion dollar hack on a crypto exchange, and it went into. They saw exactly what wallet it went to, and everyone watched that wallet like a hawk they were not able to use that money they tried to like do this elaborate plan where they sent it to like 50 different wallets and then aggregated it they traced it right back to the same wallet so um so and also that's not a property that's unique to crypto i could send doge for illegal purposes if i wanted to my yeah, would, my, my yeah, value yeah, no. where where i see the value of bitcoin is uh, is in um, metcalf's law the value of a network is is proportional to the number of users squared and there are more bitcoin holders than than any other crypto holder. And in Bitcoin, we trust, right? Bitcoin is, if Bitcoin fails, I feel like it, 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 it loses stability of the whole crypto market because if Ethereum can flip Bitcoin, what's to stop the next coin on, from, on, from flipping Ethereum.
1: Hold on real quick. I also, I buy my tops NFTs in fiat currency in us dollars. I'm not buying them in Ethereum. Now I could resell them on OpenSea and get Ethereum for them. But let, you let me don't say that. do have
0: this. to sell them on, on tops.
1: No, I, uh, no, I can, I can use the contract number. to Did they charge a, a resale? Yes. yes, 10%. It? or the, 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 It's a 10%. They, every, every sale, they're always going to get 10% of every sale. But hold, hold on a second real quick. Yeah. Cryptocurrency is pure speculation. I mean, listen, I have many, many financial advisors. I told you this guy, like 38 financial advisors. I went to every single one of my financial advisors, and every single one of them told me, you do not invest in crypto. Okay. What you do is you speculate in crypto. Crypto is not an investment. You have no idea where it's going. It's a speculation. You need to, you need to, be, you need to be investing money in crypto that you are prepared to lose just in case the market goes crazy. But I want to go back to Annabelle. Annabelle said that paper money is like that too. It, it is an agreement. You and I agree that there is a value in the paper and we use it to transact. Yes and no. Paper money... Okay. Fiat currency in the United States, fiat currency is a, is valuable because of the value of the U S economy, which is tangible. It is You can calculate the value of all the goods and services in the United States. Fiat currency, fiat currency is backed by the economy of the economy or economies of the nations that use that currency for transactions. The, the tangible value of those economies. Bitcoin uh, Cryptocurrency is a pure act of faith. Okay. I believe, though, I believe my opinion on crypto is I think Ethereum is going to become the major player because right now, Ethereum is the major
0: currency for the transaction NFT transactions. It is. And, so that and thing I don't you mean my major player is the number one for, used for transaction. You don't mean right. dominant because, market cap
1: right nft is going nowhere nft is only going to continue to grow what's going to happen is there are people who are creating nfts that are maybe really valuable now that won't be valuable later but nfts are going nowhere they're going to become ubiquitous they're going to be everywhere all around us um you know I, you know across they're going to be everywhere nft is going nowhere and right now the 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 number one currency used to purchase to exchange NFTs is if, Ethereum. And that's, if that's we were I'm
0: to concerned. ever, if we were to ever do an NFT, it would be to learn about it and to do something valuable for the community. And not obviously, not to make money. But would you ever do an NFT for a four Yeah,
1: absolutely. I w- I would love. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, we're Let we're us almost know what
0: you guys would want.
1: Yeah, we're almost certainly going to do. Uh, fiat is not more pegged by gold so federal reserve print as much as they can and manipulate its value uh, absolutely ramdas shridar he said um fiat is not more it's no longer connected to gold right by the way that was the right decision move off the gold standard uh so i mean the only reason that we haven't suffered through another great depression is cuz we're not on the gold standard uh so federal reserve print as much as they can and manipulate its value absolutely but there is there is push that comes to shove okay um that there is there is the point where we've pr- printed too much currency everyone realizes there's too much currency and they start questioning its value we're about to we're experiencing that in the united states right now um, yeah i don't and i'm not 100% convinced that we're going to go into recession but we're really close all the signs are there uh, all the inflation that we see right now in the united states is a function of printing all the you know printing all this currency that we printed to just keep things i mean that is money it- was just dollars that they gave to banks that banks just gave to people that they just spent so that people didn't, you know, starve to death.
0: Oh, hey, Rick. Uh,
1: uh Annabelle, Rich Caballotta, which isn't a good thing. Ethereum has plenty of issues too. Did you see the gas prices?
0: Yeah. That they cost? Yeah. yeah.
1: And half of the transactions didn't even go through. Yeah, there's a major issue on the blockchain right now. In fact, I tried to buy four packs today. I tried to buy four premium packs today. And uh, and that those transactions are still haven't gone through. So I, they've taken my $600 for the four packs, but they haven't gone through yet. And in fact, I could check now and see, but, uh, let me see one more. I want to make sure I covered everything. Oh, real last thing guys. Um, and this, this goes to, um, selling to engineers again. Okay. Selling to engineers. When we, when, when we shoot this podcast every week, when we shoot this podcast, there is no marketing. Thing The only the only I'm not trying to get you guys to buy anything from me and and there's no effort. We have no we have no conversation. Do you have a real application in industry with blockchain? Yes, Uh, there's probably two dozen examples and they're all related to contracts within the supply chain. Um, I can do a use case to kind of explain, but I'm almost certain that um, most of the details we can't share because of non-disclosure, but I can definitely, at a high level, show you what's
0: actually happening, uh, what the what the actual use case is. I'll share an article. I, I, I shared an article in October. That video actually got demonetized from. Uh, we we shared a clip on it that was copyrighted, but there was a there's an article that shows the exact supply chain use case that that I'll I'll leave a link below after this.
1: But I, when we when we do this podcast every week, uh, I want to talk about this. Circle back to this this uh, principled capitalism piece. And uh, I want to talk about two two things and we'll call it a day. Uh, bear with me for eight more minutes and we'll, we'll get get you guys out of here. This will be valuable. Elon, re, the reason Elon Musk is so loved, I talked about this this morning. The reason he is so loved is because he's a principled capitalist. Okay. Jeff Bezos is a pure capitalist. Okay. that And what does that mean? A pure capitalist is someone who's in it for the money, just the money. Okay. I'm just in it. I want to be rich. I want to, drive a dope car i want to have a big fucking boat i want you know i just want money i, I just want to be rich okay i've been rich for a while now okay you know tens of millions seven you know I'm, I'm worth well over 75 million now at this point um rick bellotta i know he's rich you know rick's gonna tell you the same fucking thing i'll tell you okay <laughs> it, the only people who think that money is the point of life are the people who don't have money Okay, once you're really rich, you realize you're mi- there's something else missing, and that's purpose. okay? Um, Bezos is a pure capitalist. He's still chasing that that money thing. This is where the Washington Post deal came in. He, he's searching for his meaning in The Washington Post. but he he's retired and he's gone off into the the sub uh, sunset, right? He's spending his billions. He's building a five hundred foot yacht. He's not doing that for tax purposes. If he was, he'd just buy more jets at the end of the year, right? he He's building a yacht because he wants to have, you know, he wants to flex. Elon <laughs> Musk doesn't even own a house. Elon Musk is a principled capitalist. He wants to save humanity. He makes he makes
0: principle what is principled capitalist?
1: Principled capitalism is when you're making money for a higher purpose. You're not making money for consumption. You're making it for a higher purpose. Ca- revolution costs money. Most people don't want to hear this. If you want to change the world, you better get rich first. One of the things I told I, I said in this video for your careers, gang if you are if you are sp- sp- uh, paying your bills with money you made this month, you are poor. If you are paying your bills with money you made last month, you are poor. you are not you are not financially secure until you are paying your bills this month with money you made a year ago. And I mean, 12 months ago. So the first thing you have to do is you need to save 10% of everything you make to build up a one year nest egg because you need that shock absorber. I talked about this, right? You need that shock absorber. So you will never make decisions out of fear of losing money. Okay. So and I, in my career, I never had to, I always got to tell my boss to fuck off. I, if, if I, if I didn't agree with their values, If I thought they were a scumbag, like I had a manager, I talked about this. I reported to a president who literally, who literally tried to, he literally, I had an employee who wanted to be hourly. She wanted two weeks paid vacation. They, they said, no, we only give hourly employees one week paid vacation. And then, so I gave her the one week, right? Then six months later, we hired two more hourly guys. And they get two weeks paid vacation. I reach out to the HR manager and I say to the HR manager, Hey, uh, why did these guys get the two weeks? Oh, we changed the policy because we were having trouble. Um, we were having trouble hiring hourly people. I go, Oh, well, great. Can we, can we give the extra week to this female engineer who asked about, asked about this six months ago? And they said, let me, let me have the president call you. So he calls me and I say, Hey, I want to do this. And he goes, why would we do that? I can't retroactively apply. I said, because it's the right thing to do, dick. Literally is what I said to him. I said, how the fuck do you sleep at night? I sa- he said, well, how is she going to know? I said, what happens when she finds out these guys have two weeks vacation and they don't and she doesn't? And he said, well, how's she going to find out? And I said, because I'm going to tell her so I can sleep at night. And he's like, and he said, if you want to keep your job, I suggest you change your tone. And I said, if you want to keep me as an employee, I suggest you give her that fucking hour, that extra week. Guess who won? I did. Why? Because I was richer than he was. He couldn't, he couldn't manipulate. He couldn't use money to manipulate. me. He couldn't use money to manipulate me into fear. And I was able to push him to do the moral thing. Okay. So, but I'm going to talk about this real, real quick, and then we'll, Two minutes. We never get on these podcasts beforehand and never say, What's our sales strategy here? Like, (laughs) how is a company going to benefit from this? We never go, Hey, how can we convert this opportunity when we're talking to these people into sales? We never do that. Never. Okay. And I'm sure it's probably weird for Cheryl actually, when she first joined us, that we never have those conversations. I'm sure she probably thought I was kind of full of shit when she realized. When I kept saying over and over and over again, I don't ever talk about the money. I don't ever talk about the money. We just come on here and we provide value. We ask three questions when we come on here. And I want you guys to do the same thing every time you communicate with an internal customer in your organization, okay? Don't ask yourself, how am I going to benefit from this? How's my company? How am I going to make money off this? Principled capitalism is all about providing higher value, m- making money so you can provide higher value. At, it, at the nuts and bolts level, whenever I'm communicating with anyone, we do it this way. Three questions. What is my message? What am I actually saying right now? What do I want to say? Number two, what do, I, what do I want the audience to take away? So that is when the audience leaves and there's an action item, what will that, what do I want them to take away? And number three, what will the audience say was the most valuable thing about what my message was? We d- we ask three questions. That's it. We don't. I don't. We don't try to sell anybody anything. We just try to solve problems through positive messaging and a and a higher mission. That's it, right? And the reason I bring that up is I get this question all the time: How did you guys do what you've done? And the answer is. We live, we operate on our five core values
0: and we solve problems. Stop selling shit. You stop were so focused on solving problems you didn't want to do your story. And I kept telling you, start with white. Why is it that you, you know? I'm like, I know stop, this is gonna
1: stop selling. Put value into the world, and you will make money. I promise you. I promise you. I, I was I said this other thing. Grant Cardone, if you guys follow Grant Cardone, he you know, he tells you not to save money. He says Young people shouldn't save money. That's stupid. Grant Cardone's full shit. Don't listen to Grant Cardone, okay? You need to save 10% of your money until you have one year salary saved up. Then start investing in yourself. Then savings doesn't matter anymore, okay? But you have got to have a financial shock absorber.
0: What does it need to be in cash? Or, or is it uh, like mm-hmm. a brokerage anything. or anything? anything. Yeah, but you, money, you, you got to
1: be able to convert it to liquid in less than a week. Okay. So
0: if I if I can do a HELOC on my house, like I have uh 10 k in equity in my condo, would that count as if my you can
1: if you can if you can liquidate that in a year in, in less than seven days, yes.
0: Yeah, I could do a HELOC. Okay.
1: All right, gang. Uh hopefully this was a little different.
0: I hope hopefully you guys I, enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, a little different topic. I what I'm gonna do, the action items for us coming out of here. I am going to try and put together the blockchain use case, the actual real world example, the case study of where it's being used. Um, but I, I'm definitely going to have to, if I'm going to try and do that case study, I got to get approval that we can share any of the, you know, the details pieces. I know I, from a 10,000, 15,000 foot view, I can definitely share that architecturally how it's happening, but what the actual transactions are, I don't know if I can share that. So I got I to gotta get permission there.
0: Oh, and, and gang, uh, we're going to be creating a, clips channel. So if there was any segment from today's live stream that you found interesting, whether it's the principal capital discussion or the blockchain discussion, we're going to be publishing those over on the 4.0 clips channel. It's not created yet, but uh, that's something that we are going to be doing. So that was one of the feedback we got is like, Hey, so much value in these weekly podcasts. Once you guys talk about it, I can't find it ever again. So that's what the 4.0 clips channel is going to be. Awesome.
1: I appreciate everyone. Thank you, Desmond McGuire. Appreciate you, brother um uh take it easy guys all right bye